0: Coming up this evening an NTD Business. The Federal Reserve sharpens its inflation-fighting knives as it raises interest rates at the fastest rate in decades. But will it cause a recession? Europe plans to ban Russian oil over its war in Ukraine. But remember, the EU is heavily reliant on Russian energy. Pfizer and Moderna strike it rich during the pandemic. Vaccine sales boosting revenues way past analyst estimates. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. As expected, Federal Reserve will now move faster to tighten monetary policy to fight inflation. It raised a key interest rate target by half a percentage point today as the fastest single increase in over 20 years. At the onset of the pandemic, you'll remember the Fed cut that rate to near zero percent to spur the economy. It may have helped, but it is an inflationary measure. Federal Reserve Chairman today said he wants to tame that to help lower prices.
1: The process of getting there involves higher rates, so higher mortgage rates, higher borrowing rates and things like that.
0: The idea is to make it less appealing for households and businesses to borrow money because interest rates in that borrowing will be higher. You'll also have to pay more interest on your current debt. That means you'll have less money to spend on all kinds of stuff, forcing businesses to cut their prices if they can afford to. For example, if interest payments on your credit card debt go up, maybe you'll skip that Friday night takeout. Or if mortgage rates go up, maybe you'll have to wait a while to buy that first home.
1: It's not going to be pleasant either, but in the end, everyone is better off.
0: The risk of recession was the big talking point to today's press conference. Intentionally suppressing consumer and business spending could slow the economy that much. It's happened during previous Fed inflation battles. But Jerome Powell says he's confident the economy is strong enough right now. He's hoping the Fed can navigate a, quote, softish landing. With this live is former advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and author of Fed Up, Danielle Dimartino Booth. Danielle, thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Danielle, the biggest rate hike since two thousand, with more to come, it seems. Fed Chairman doesn't seem too nervous. Are you?
2: Well, he certainly doesn't seem nervous. In fact, he he seems extremely calm. I would say overly calm, uh, given the fact that there are so many different. Uh, areas of inflation that really have run off the rails, but he was clearly less concerned with inflation today and much more concerned with buttressing the, the stock market, which has just seen its best day in, in, in two years.
0: Explain that to us.
2: Well, during the press conference, uh, which is where where we get all the critical information, including his body language, uh, he maintained over and over again that inflation was going to be slayed and that the Fed was going to be diligent and persistent. But at the same time, when he was asked about those mortgage-backed securities sales off of the balance sheet, part of the quantitative tightening, which is the other form of, of tightening that the Fed is trying to implement, he stepped back and he said, well, no, we won't actually sell them if we don't get enough Americans prepaying their mortgages for the mortgages to automatically roll off the Fed's balance sheet. So that set off one layer of the rally and then the the icing on the cake was of course when he said that 75 basis point three quarters of a percentage point rate hikes were not on the table at which point it was the, the horse left the barn markets did not look back after that it didn't matter what he said about inflation it was clear that he was not looking out for main street but rather he continues to look out for wall street
0: So you're saying even though we have this half a percentage point increase, the Fed could be doing more. But you're feeling it's restraining itself out of fears for the financial markets.
2: Absolutely. And I think that that's exactly how it was rightly interpreted. You saw bond yields come down. And if if the market was concerned about tightening financial conditions, you would have seen bond yields rise. But that simply was not the case. So look, history will write the book. The Fed has done a lot of tough talking. I'm sure when Fed blackout ends, and we get all the Fed speakers out of the gate tomorrow morning, there'll be a lot of tough tough talk and rhetoric, but from what Powell said today, the commitment to really be rigorous and aggressive is just not there.
0: He was asked about this, uh, a reporter asked him, are you, do you want the stock market to fall a certain amount, to discourage people from spending money? Um, He said that they don't look at specific areas like the stock market or other particular markets to gauge their, their policy.
2: Oh, this is this this is beyond disingenuous. I'm sorry, but of course they follow the stock market. This is the Ben Bernanke playbook that was written years ago, and of course Powell was there when Bernanke wrote that book. So, of course the Fed follows the stock market. Of course the Fed appreciates the so-called wealth effect, where the higher the stock market is, the larger your 401k or your portfolio is, the more apt you're going to be to continue spending. And of course. The more eager Americans are to spend, because they feel wealthier, because their investments are worth more, the higher inflation is going to persist.
0: He talked about his admiration for Paul Volcker, previous Fed chairman who was incredibly aggressive in fighting inflation in the 70s and, and maybe intentionally pushed the economy into recession to, to bring down inflation. you feel that the, the Chairman Jerome Powell won't take this approach?
2: No, it it was clear today, based on everything that he said, that even though he was talking a tough game when it came to inflation, because he wouldn't commit to being more aggressive, because he said, we're going going to remain very data dependent, Uh, we're going to, you know, we can't give forward guidance out beyond 60 or 90 days. So the commitment, even in a midterm election year, when the Fed is supposed to be extreme, even more apolitical, than at other times when we're this close to an election, he was still not able to commit to a disciplined path of rate hikes on through the rest of the year in order to try and get the federal funds rate, the overnight rate, anywhere close to where inflation is, which is around 8%. All they did today was go from 025 to 0.75%. That's nowhere near where inflation is running.
0: You think consumer prices could go even higher?
2: You know, I think a lot of it depends on Mother Nature and how the crops come in and how the situation unfolds in the Ukraine and how much the Chinese economy slows. But by the same token, had he, had he taken a more rigorous stance today, I think that there could have been you know, more shockwaves that, that, that rattled through the housing market. And that is a form of inflation that, over which the Fed does have control. And instead, we saw the home building sector put in their best day in a very long time.
0: An incredible rally. Danielle, I've got 30 seconds. What's the most important thing to follow?
2: I think we're going to have to see in the next few days how much dissension there really is, because there have to be a few hawkish members on the Federal Open Market Committee who are none too impressed with the massive risk rally that Powell set off at his press conference, a venue in which he's flying by himself.
0: Incredible. Danielle DiMortino Booth, Quill Intelligence, thank you. Talk soon. Thank you. And as Danielle said, U.S. stocks closed much higher today after the press conference. The Dow rose 932 points, two and eight tenths of a percent. I had to reread that. The S&P gained 125 points, three percent, and the Nasdaq rose 401 points, two and three and two tenths of a percent today. What a day on Wall Street! And big news over in Europe. It's going to ban Russian oil, something it is pretty reliant on, to say the least. Even Germany, Europe's second, Europe's largest economy and one of the most dependent Russia, will join the party. Anthony's Khan Fredriksen has more. We will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe.
3: This will be...
1: The European Union, which has been heavily reliant on Russian oil, is now going for a full complete ban. And even Germany has joined in. We have prepared ourselves uh, to be uh, less dependent. The proposal, part of a sixth round of sanctions, involves a ban of crude imports within six months and a ban on refined oil by the end of the year.
4: Time is critical, so we should better act faster here.
1: George Zachman is a senior fellow at think tank Bruegel. Zachman says Russia will have the opportunity to look for other ways to export its oil.
0: If we give them six to uh, to ten months to prepare, that will of course allow them to find new ways to, to sell oil to non-embargoing countries.
1: Experts say an oil ban is relatively easy to offset because the EU can just get the oil from other places.
5: It can import from numerous different producers from uh, Norway, the North Sea in general, uh, from the United States, and many other suppliers. So that is relatively easy.
1: Daniel Lacalle is the author of The Energy World is Flat. Lacalle says the EU's real problem is natural gas.
5: The European Union imports about 150 BCM per year of natural gas from Russia. Those imports are essential for numerous economies, and it's very difficult to substitute them with other sources.
1: Russia's natural gas makes up around 40% of the EU's imports, and it's not as easy to ship as oil is. The sixth round of sanctions also include taking Russia's largest bank out of the SWIFT system and holding Russian military officers responsible for war crimes. All 27 EU countries must agree in order for the sanctions to be imposed. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Expensive oil means expensive gas maybe you want to buy an
0: electric car. Well, you might be out of luck. The second biggest car maker in the world, Volkswagen, is sold out in Europe and the United States. Suffered from a shortage of semiconductors and some parts from Ukraine due to the war, VW's boss say they had an order backlog in Europe of 300,000 electric cars, and new orders won't be delivered till 2023. Volkswagen Company includes brands like Porsche and Audi, selling a total of 100,000 cars in the first quarter. Tesla, on the other hand, sold more than three times that during the same period. But the state of Georgia wants to help electric truck startup get revving again, Rivian, despite its billion dollars in losses and a plummeting share price. Georgia's government is giving it $1.5 billion in incentives, built a plant near Atlanta, Georgia says this includes tax credits, abatements, which means fewer taxes, and subsidies. Georgia wants the additional tax revenue Rivian could provide. It also wants to create more jobs in the state. But locals aren't so happy. They're worried about traffic, damage to the environment, and urban sprawl. That's where businesses replace nature. They created a Facebook group with around 3,000 members to oppose the project. Keep you updated. And drug makers Pfizer and Moderna both beat earnings expectations last quarter. Both of them benefited from sales of their CCP virus vaccines. Moderna's net income tripled, while Pfizer's net income rose 60%. Pfizer took in $13 billion in revenue from its vaccine, up $10 billion from the quarter before. Revenue from its COVID pill also rose. For Moderna, revenue from its vaccine more than tripled for the same time last year. Nearly 580 million vaccine shots have been given in the U.S. in total, the most from Pfizer, then Moderna. Vaccination rates have largely plateaued in the developed world but have been steadily continuing in the developing world. Globally, nearly 12 billion shots have been given. And the rise of hybrid working is giving a boost to home-sharing platform Airbnb. Its revenue rose 70% from a year ago, with its CEO saying guests are not only booking more, they're also booking more in advance and staying for longer. That's thanks to remote working. Millions of people are now more flexible about where they live and they work. And as a result, they're spreading out to thousands of towns and cities and they're staying for weeks, months, or even entire seasons at a time. Stays of a month or stays of a month or longer continue to be its fastest growing category. It's tripled compared to 2019. And to put its money where its mouth is, Airbnb itself recently announced its employees can live and work anywhere. CEO himself also said he'll live on Airbnb, moving from one town to another every few weeks. The company topped 100 million bookings during the first quarter of the year. It's also predicting a better-than-expected second quarter. (laughs) Summer travel. And Beijing authorities are scrambling to contain a surge in COVID cases. How are they doing it? By closing down businesses and restricting people's movement. Locals not happy about it. So, what are residents saying on the ground? Here's Entity's Don Ma.
5: China is still trying to get rid of every single virus case across the nation. Authorities have now put the country's capital under partial lockdown. Concerns about the economy echoed among residents as Chinese stocks linger near two year lows.
1: I am worried about the situation, but there is nothing to do about it. I just wonder how long is this situation going to last, and what will the economic consequences be?"
5: But it seems economic ramifications aren't going to hold back authorities, as Beijing shuts down a number of businesses and entertainment venues, like gyms, theaters, libraries, shopping malls and tourist sites. This is too much to bear for some. A woman is in tears as she voices her dissatisfaction with the restrictions.
3: I think the I think
5: Some residential buildings, offices, schools and a university were also locked down. Locals are saying the restrictions are too much.
6: Restrictions in Beijing are very severe. I can't even go eat anywhere. I feel oppressed. I did the PRC test every day and I know that I am not sick. I did not get infected, but I still feel caged like I was sick. I feel these restrictions are excessive. They make people agitated. They can't bear it.
5: The latest lockdown curbs in Beijing are targeting public transport. The capital shut down more than a tenth of its transit network on Wednesday. That's equivalent to more than 40 subway stations and 158 bus routes.
6: I can't go anywhere. I can't go home. I can't eat. I can't get into a restaurant. And they won't even give me food. It's very bad.
5: It's been about a week now since Beijing's partial lockdowns began, with no end in sight. And in the past week or so, authorities have conducted three rounds of virus testing on 20 million residents in the city. Don Ma, NTD News
0: the lockdowns are hurting the earnings of american companies too eating into everything from teslas to lattes here's the ceo of starbucks china belinda wong
4: net revenue in china declined 14 percent and sales comp declined 20 percent in q2 versus last year after adjusting for the vat subsidy all from reduced traffic we expect an even greater impact on our q3 results due to the timing of the Shanghai lockdown and the further resurgence of the virus in other cities, including Beijing.
0: Tesla's earnings also decreased, but Elon Musk said production in Shanghai is back to high levels already. He doesn't think supply bottlenecks will be a big deal. Other companies, from luxury goods makers to fast food restaurants, show the impact of lost sales and shaken confidence in recent weeks. Showroom stores and malls in Shanghai were shut and as 25 million residents unable to shop online for much beyond food and daily necessities due to delivery bottlenecks. And an unusually early and brutal heat wave is scorching parts of India. Acute power shortages are now affecting millions as demand for electricity surges to record levels. In the news, Andrew Thomas has more.
4: Supplies of coal at many thermal power plants in India are running perilously low, leading to daily power outages in several states. When there's a power
1: outage, work stops and we sit idle. We still have to pay the laborers. Before we could make more money, because there used to be electricity 24 hours a day.
4: The shortages are sparking scrutiny of India's long reliance on coal, which produces 70 percent of the country's electricity. The situation highlights India's pressing need to diversify its energy sources, as demand for electricity is expected to increase more than anywhere else in the world over the next 20 years, according to the International Energy Agency.
1: Before, we'd lose power for maybe about an hour in a whole week. But now it's regular. It's gone for at least one hour. And how will there be any business? If there is no light, who will come and sit here in the heat? Who will come? Nowadays, people don't leave their homes anyway because of the heat.
4: India recorded its hottest March since 1901, and average temperatures in April in northern and central pockets of the country were the highest in 122 years, the Indian Meteorological Department said. We don't experience this high temperature usually in March and April, so this is an abnormal year, undoubtedly. Temperatures breached 113 degrees Fahrenheit in 10 cities last week, although cloudy skies and rain could bring some relief soon andrew thomas ntd news
0: incredible still to come stay with us inflation is causing more defaults among a certain type of borrower look at a new study a family boutique celebrates a hundred years in business what's its secret to thriving for a century that and more coming up on ntd business Soaring inflation is causing consumers with low credit scores to borrow more and default on their loans more often, according to a new study by credit agency TransUnion. Credit card balances and delinquency rates among people with low credit scores have increased the most since early 2021. That's when inflation really started gaining steam. Despite the increases, though, credit card delinquency rates among non-prime borrowers are still well below pre-pandemic levels. The study did find, though, that these consumers are carrying more debt month to month than in the past two years. Now, rising interest rates could make it more difficult for struggling borrowers because that'll be more expensive to borrow money. And this is one. Intuit, the owner of TurboTax, has agreed to pay customers $141 million in restitution after allegedly steering them away from free tax filing services. Filers who use TurboTax's free edition for tax years 2016 through 2018 will get about $30 for each year they were charged when they should have been able to use free services. New York Attorney General Letitia James announced the settlement Wednesday, saying about 4.4 million customers were unfairly charged. James's office said it investigated after a 2019 news report accused TurboTax of steering eligible clients away from its federally supported tax filing products to making them more difficult to find in web searches. Instead, it allegedly directed them to the paid version of the company's filing services. James said the tactic targeted low-income consumers. Intuit admitted to no wrongdoing in the settlement deal, though. And non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, don't seem to be doing too well. NFT sales are plummeting compared to last year. Didis Zoe reports.
3: The non-fungible token or NFT market is falling apart. The number of daily transactions fell a whopping 90% since its peak last September. The number of active wallets for NFTs also fell 90% from its high last November.
4: And a lot of maybe that initial charge towards easy money is dying off and people are looking for more utility.
3: An NFT of the first tweet ever sold for $3 million last year. But when the owner tried to resell it this year, he had no luck. The highest bid was around $14,000. Adam Carlton, CEO of Pink Panda Holdings, a digital asset wallet, says that's an example of NFTs with no use case.
4: People say, yeah, it's just a JPEG immortalized on the blockchain versus uh, many of these uh, better uh, performing NFT projects where, again, it's very tied to utility. It's very tied to community. There's actually, you know, a roadmap of how things uh, are going to to progress on it. And and so you're seeing a lot different realization.
3: Even so, Carlton bought a collection of NFTs himself, spending tens of thousands because he loved the art, saying if the price falls, so be it. He's patient and in it for the long term. The level of
6: efficiency that NFTs have should not be overshadowed by what's happening now.
3: Noble Dracone is co-founder of NFT music company Band Royalty.
6: The idea is that everything will be nfts from real estate uh, purchase transactions to ownership of cars you know this idea of the distributed ledger technology that allows you to codify data for a specific item that can then be traded and transferred almost seamlessly is what we've been looking for the entire time that we've been recording documents
3: and paperwork Both experts say NFTs that will stand out the most are the ones that are more than just an image, usually providing a service or some type of perk. Phil Zoe, NTD News.
0: And finally this evening, running a brick-and-mortar clothing store is not easy. Many of these stores have either been crushed by competition from e-commerce or shuttered by the pandemic. But one family-owned boutique in Illinois is still still standing tall is now celebrating its 100-year anniversary. Anthony's fake quarter has the story.
6: The same family has owned the Lake Forest Shop, a luxury boutique in Lake Forest, Illinois, for three generations. The store has weathered the storms of the past century and is thriving. Ellen Sterling, the owner of the store, fondly recounts how her grandmother, Margaret Baxter Foster, started the business.
4: She was a woman who uh, loved to shop
6: she met
3: this woman named coco chanel and she fell in love with coco and the clothes so she
2: bought and bought and bought
6: the buying spree went on repeatedly until the clothes couldn't fit in the closet foster opened a store to sell them with the help of her famous son-in-law condé nast the publisher of vogue the shop flourished he was able to introduce my grandmother to A lot of
3: designers,
2: a lot of people that could be helpful to her.
6: Sterling's parents expanded the business to four branches, but the expansion backfired. When Sterling took over in 1986, the store was $500,000 in debt. Sterling closed all the other branches except the original store and made drastic changes. We went on a search
3: for really fine designers that we think our customers would like and then we had trunk shows
6: with them. The trunk show allows customers to see samples of a designer's whole collection and customize clothing for individual sizes and colors. The shop carries luxury brands such as Lourdes Chavez and Algo of Switzerland, who outfits Duchess Kate and others. Today the store has an annual revenue of $2 million. Sterling credits her success to her employees and their taste in style. They are
3: absolutely superb women superb professionals and there is anything they won't do for you
6: at 72 sterling is making plans for the store's future because none of her children are interested in taking over faye quarter ntd news
0: that's the latest in the ntd business team of myself paul graney can still catch ntd evening news with stephanie cox that's at 6:30 p.m eastern follow me on twitter too if you're there for N3D Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.